Thank you, Marcos, and leading us uh, wherever we are in our town or maybe even around the world in singing. Uh, there's no greater thing to sing about, no greater way to start our morning, to start our week than uh, to sing about the mercy of God and to, to know that uh, the glories of it is, is even greater because of the depth of our sin, uh, the sins that are many. So I want to pray together as we are about to open the word of God, to hear it read, uh, to hear it preached. I want to pray that, that God would be at work in our hearts, that uh, wherever we find ourselves sitting, uh, this morning, or if you're watching this later, that God would move among us, and that, that because we're mediating between a, a screen and having that between us, uh, that that would not uh, take away the power of the word or the engagement of God with us as a people. So join me in praying wherever you are, and pray with me, pray for whatever else the Lord brings to your mind and heart as we do. Father in heaven, we... Uh, we feel the brokenness of our world this morning, even in the basics uh, of rain and weather that prevent us from actually gathering together in person. Um, but we also we experience now your grace, even in common grace of technology that allows us to be able to do things like this that we're doing right now, to still gather together in a sense, uh, to worship you, to praise you, to hear from you. Uh, to potentially even encourage each other as we uh, share comments now or even later in the day as we get to speak to each other about what you uh, said through your word or what we sang. Uh, so, Father, we're thankful that, that you uh, provide good gifts to us and that, that you have provided the greatest gift for us in the gift of your son, Jesus. Uh, thank you for sending him. Thank you for uh, sending him into the brokenness of our world uh, where there's not just storms and rain, but where there's suffering, where there's disease, where there's mistreatment, where there's death. Thank you for sending him into our world to rescue us uh, from our sin, to rescue us even from your judgment. I pray that, that our hearts would sing today that though our sins are many, your mercy is more and that we would revel in that this morning. Father, we uh, pray now as we uh, gather together uh, virtually, we pray for those we have sent out who every Sunday is this way for them, uh, that we've sent out around the world that uh, are in places where there is not yet a church even. Uh, we pray for them this morning and ask that you would encourage their hearts. We pray that you would build them up in their faith, uh, that you would give them confidence to press on in the work that you have called them to. And in particular, I want to pray for Randy Baker uh, this morning. I, I ask as she serves in a very volatile nation in northern Africa, uh, that you would uh, help her to know how to minister to the people around her uh, who are fearful, who are afraid, or who are maybe just are embittered or cold towards the sufferings that they see around them. I pray that that she would know how to speak truth into their hearts, that she would be able to hold out the hope of not just uh, an armistice or some sort of peace in their nation, but that she could hold out peace with you to people and that they may believe it. They may see in her heart even a stability and a confidence that, that's not based on fluctuating uh, threat levels and things like that from fellow humans, but that is secure in knowing that she is loved and approved of by you. And I pray that you would use her, that you would use her teammates to spread the good news of Christ. Father, I pray as we gather together virtually that this would just increase our thankfulness for each other. Uh, even in the absence of being able to see each other's faces, to hear each other's voices, uh, to, to speak directly with one another. I pray that this 
experience this morning would grow our appreciation once again uh, for one another and for the church that you've assembled here. And I pray uh, that we may have a deeper longing uh, next Sunday, weather permitting, if you have any providence for us to be able to meet together. May our longing grow to be together again next Sunday, uh, even as we worship apart this Sunday. And so, Father, now we pray as we read your word, as we walk through it together, we pray that your spirit would speak to us through it, that, that he would give us attentive hearts, even if we're sitting on comfortable couches or maybe tired on this dreary uh, Sunday morning, I pray that our hearts would be attuned uh, to your word and to hear what you may have to say uh, to us through it. Let me pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that you have a Bible with you. If not, hopefully there's one nearby you, wherever you are, that you could grab. Because uh, we're going to be in the very last section of Galatians this morning, Galatians chapter 6. That's actually where uh, I'd encourage you to, to open up your Bible and to find yourself this morning. We're going to go through verses 11 through 18 of Galatians 6. We started Galatians, I think, way back at the start of February. If you can remember back then, it feels like an eternity ago to some of us. Uh, but we've been walking through this wonderful letter of scripture written by the Apostle Paul. And we had a few month break because of coronavirus, um, but the last few months, as we've been gathering together in person again, we've been able to finish out the second half of this letter. And it's it's been ministering to my heart and soul as I've read it, as I've read it as a believer, but read it uh, and studied it to prepare in preaching and teaching uh, on behalf of our church. It's ministered to me, and I hope that it has for you as well. Um, but as we come to the ending of this letter, uh, I wanted to share something that I have run into often uh, in the early years of my ministry thus far. Um, prior to my current role, a lot of my previous roles, even in our church, had to do with ministering to young people, uh, to have conversation with children and teenagers and their families. And I still do that. I still love doing that. But it was more prominent in my ministry early on. And what I found to be true is I would often uh, discuss things with children, especially if they had grown up in the church, uh, was when I would start to talk to them about the forgiveness of sins. And I would start to ask them something along these lines, how is it that God can forgive you? How can that be? Uh, typically what their, their minds would go to uh, would be to start sentences with, I, well, I prayed with my mom and dad. I asked God to forgive me. I, uh, I turned from my sin. I, or they may have other answers that, that go afield, like I have done good things. I've been trying to obey God. And all those sentences would start with I. They would be thinking of things they had done, things they had said, things that they had prayed. And it was typically, especially the younger they were, I'd have to steer them in conversation uh, towards the cross to think about what Jesus had done on their behalf, uh, to help them see that there was something done outside of themselves, not something that was dependent on them, but done by someone else on their behalf. And usually the response, this was a very common response I would get, is when I would steer their mind and heart to the cross and to what Jesus had done for them, that he suffered on the cross for their sins. He took the punishment for them. Their eyes would light up and they would say something like this. They'd say, oh, yeah. Like, oh yeah, they, they'd heard the, about the cross. They even, in some sense, believed that Jesus had died on their behalf, that he'd suffered on the cross, but it was at the back of their mind when they thought about how they could be forgiven. The, at the front of their mind was thinking about things they had done, 
Uh, and I, it, we had to call to their mind as a pastor, as a parent, over and over and over again, that the way that they could be forgiven was through what Jesus had done for them, not what they had said to him or what they had done for him. And I, I, I think that that is so true of us, even as Christians, that often we believe in the cross, we believe that Jesus died for us, but when we think about how can I be forgiven, how can I have good standing with God, often it's still an Oh, yeah, the cross. Uh, and we, we, we have it in the back of our minds, the back of our hearts. And what Paul has done through this letter, and you see, you're going to see him do it most clearly at the end of this letter, is he's wanting us to not think about the cross as an, oh, yeah, but as a, yes, like this is what I boast in. This is what is at the front of my mind when I think about my forgiveness and for my standing with God. And so I'm going to read this text for us in just a second, the, the last several verses here of Galatians 6. Um, but my hope in doing it today is that the cross will move from being an afterthought maybe for you and, oh yeah, that's tucked away, and that it would become your boast. That it would become the thing that is at the first thing on your lips and on your heart when you think about how can I be forgiven. But a couple of things you're going to see when I read this text. This is the end of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and he wrote it to a group of Christians. So you're going to see that this... You're going to be reminded, even in what I read first, that this was a very personal communication. It wasn't just Paul writing to some Christians in general, but writing to very specific Christians, very specific churches. We're going to see that with even him saying, I'm writing it in my own hand. Uh, I want you to see my handwriting, my heart in this. We're going, to rem we're going to see, I think, in reading this, how serious the situation was with the Galatians. Usually when Paul ends his letters, he you can look at some other ones that he wrote if you want later. He usually has some niceties maybe at the end, like, oh, say hi to so-and-so, greet so-and-so on my behalf. Uh, you're going to see none of that when we read the closing of this letter because this situation was serious. There was a lot at stake with these early Christians. And then we're going to see, if you've been through uh, this series with us, you're going to see that Paul, at the end of this letter, he's not introducing anything new. He's just going to be pulling through threads that he's been weaving throughout the letter. He's going to hearken back to things he's already said. He's going to just pull it uh, to a close by, by referring back to those things. And so I want that said, I want to read this now and then walk back through this text. And my message today is just going to be a very simple one, is that I want you, I think God wants you to boast in the cross of Christ. And so let's read this together, hear the word of God together. Galatians 6 verses 11 through 18. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this. <clears throat> See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of God. 
Paul, as he concludes this letter, what he's doing is he's contrasting his ministry to the Galatians, even from afar. These people he had started these churches with, uh, that he had brought to the faith, but now he's apart from. He's contrasting his ministry to them, the things he taught them, the, the ways he served them, with the ministry and the teaching of these false teachers uh, that have now come into these churches at Galatia, who are, are calling people not just to trust in Jesus, but to also obey the Old Testament law, to say to lay that upon them as a law. And what Paul does here is he frames the differences between them, between his ministry and the ministry of those false teachers in terms of what they are boasting in, like what they're most proud of, what they uh, have at the front of what they're saying, uh, at the front of their minds, the front of their hearts. Uh, what are they boasting in? What are they bragging about? What are they most proud of? Or it even has this sense, this idea of boasting of what are they putting their trust in? What are they putting their confidence in? Like what, what do they boast in? That's how he's framing the difference. And what you see in the first few verses is the, what the boast of these false teachers was. And he, he talks about it in terms of them boasting in the flesh. Uh, he's used that term before, but he says here again that they are boasting in the flesh, these false teachers. And you see that right off the bat in verse 12. Uh, we see in verse 11 that Paul, to write, just to note this, when he's finishing this letter, he probably had uh, what people call an amanuensis, a uh, person who had good handwriting, uh, write most of this letter as he would say it to them. Uh, but then here in verse 11, he's saying the rest of this, this last several, we call them verses, last several sentences, I'm actually writing those to show to you this is really from me. It's not some forgery. That's what verse 11 is about. But in verse 12, you see he says about these false teachers, he says, it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. Uh, those, so those teachers were wanting to make a good showing in the flesh. And flesh can sometimes mean the human body, like actually like muscles and bones and the physical parts of our body. But it can also mean uh, the, this, this idea of human effort, like this idea of striving to do things ourselves to please God, to honor God. And that's what he's saying here first when he's talking about the flesh, that they're wanting to make a good showing in the flesh. They're wanting to... to uh, put forward good effort, to put a good face on, to put a good resume out before God, to be seen by Him through the things that they do. They're wanting to impress Him. They're wanting to make Him look at them and say, bravo, well done, uh, you can receive reward now. You can receive my blessing. You can receive my favor. That's what's at the front of their mind is they're boasting in their own efforts. They're boasting in their own skill, their own persuasiveness, their own ability to persuade people to do things and believe certain things. So they're looking to themselves for godliness, for value, for worthiness, their own efforts. They're trying to make a good showing in the flesh. But what you see down in verse 13 is the way that they're doing that, the way that they're trying to put a good foot forward, a good face forward uh, for God to see, is that they're also trying, at, you see at the end of verse 13, they're also boasting in the flesh of these Galatians. That's how verse 13 ends. He says, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And so what that, when he's talking about flesh there, he actually is talking about physical body, something tangible, something physical about these people. And although it's a foreign concept to us, what these false teachers were wanting to do was they were wanting to see the Galatian Christians, 
these non-Jewish Christians, they were wanting them to not just believe in Jesus, but also to start trying to follow the Old Testament law. And one of the fundamental parts of following the Old Testament law was having yourself, if you were a male, or having your sons, uh, having them be circumcised. That was like a, an initiation. It was, a, it was a beginning point of following the Old Testament law. And so these false teachers are wanting the Galatian Christians to do that. They're, they're wanting them to come under the Old Testament law, and the very first thing that they would have had to do was to undergo circumcision. And so when Paul says that, that they're wanting to boast in your flesh, it's very crude, but he, he's saying that they're wanting to boast in, as odd as it sounds, in your foreskin. They're wanting to boast in what they can get you to do uh, to, to come under the Old Testament law. And so they're wanting to boast in your, in your bodies, what they can physically persuade you to do and get you to do. And it's hypocrisy upon hypocrisy in their hearts because he says uh, that, uh, that these Galatian Christians, at the start of verse 13, they don't even keep the law themselves, these false teachers. They don't keep the law themselves. Maybe they're trying to, but they don't actually do it. They're not keeping it themselves, but they definitely want you to try. They want you to join in with them in trying to keep the Old Testament law, not just believe in Jesus, but also try to follow the Old Testament law. And I was thinking of it this way, that uh, maybe you think of uh, a, uh, if you want to think of the image of like an obese physical trainer, like somebody who is trying to get you to do physical work, trying to get you to eat less, trying to get you to exercise more, but they're not even doing it themselves. There's something about that that should ring hollow, that they don't really believe what they're calling you to do. And there's, there's some of that going on with these false teachers that they're trying to get you to do certain things. They're trying to you, get you even to be circumcised or circumcise your sons, but they don't even try to keep that law. They're most certainly not successfully keeping the law, and they're, they're, but they're wanting to have you be circumcised almost as trophies of, to prove their godliness trophies to prove that they're serious about getting people to follow God. Uh, there, there's a very strange story to us, but I read back through it this week, back in 1 Samuel 18, uh, where the eventual King David uh, is wanting to marry the daughter of King Saul, and uh, her name was Michal. And what King Saul asks David to do to prove his value, to prove his merit, in a sense, to be able to marry his daughter, is he asks him to go get him, and this sounds so crude to us, to go get him 100 foreskins of Philistines, of their enemies. He says, go do that. And David uh, does it. He goes and kills these Philistines, and he I don't even know what this would have been, so gross what it looks like, but he brings back these foreskins of these hundred enemies of God. It's like he's proving himself to King Saul to say, let me marry your daughter. And what is happening here in the Galatian churches is not far removed from that. Uh, it's that these false teachers are trying to get these people to circumcise their sons in order to prove themselves not to some king, but to prove themselves to God to prove that, man, we were persuasive, we were strong, we, we did what you asked us to do, we got them to follow your law, God. And Paul uh, sees this, he senses it, he knows that they're not boasting in Jesus, they're not boasting in the cross, they're boasting in their own efforts, these false teachers, and they're boasting in what they can get other people to do on behalf of God. 
And I want us to know that we need to resist that temptation to try to make a good showing in the flesh. That there's something in our human hearts that thinks that is the way to please God. That is the way to get good standing with God is that I need to make a good showing in the flesh. I need, I need to, to do good things. I need to impress God. I need to stop doing certain things. I need to start doing other things. But I want you to hear clear as day. We've heard this throughout Galatians, and Paul just weaves this in again at the end, that you cannot do anything to impress God. You can't make a good showing in the flesh to God. God is, will never, ever be impressed by your godliness. God will never be impressed by your efforts and by your attempts to impress him and to make him uh, give you a bravo. He is not impressed by our righteousness, by our attempts to keep his laws. We must resist that temptation to try to make a good showing in the flesh. And we also need to resist this temptation that the false teachers were, were facing. We must resist this temptation to see converts as trophies. To, to see uh, people that I've told about Jesus, to see people that I've led to the Lord as some sort of trophy that I can hold up to show God. See, like I've done a good job. I, I've worked hard for you. Uh, we must not ever think of our children that way. We must not ever think of our neighbors that way, our coworkers that way, as if they are some sort of project or some sort of opportunity for us to pad our resume for God. But we must see them as human beings who are broken, who are sinful, who are in need of a Savior more than they are in need of us. We must never see fellow human beings as trophies or as something that we can hold up uh, to impress God. That is a dangerous place for us to be. And Paul knew that these false teachers were becoming like that. They weren't even sincerely trying to help the Galatians. They were just using them as a means to an end to make themselves look good. And we can face a similar temptation. We must resist that temptation. But you can see with these false teachers that they're boasting in their selves, they're boasting in their own efforts, affected how they viewed the cross of Christ then, right? You saw that in verse, uh, verse 12, the end of verse 12. He says that they, they're wanting these Galatian Christians to be circumcised. He says, only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so these false teachers that were coming into Galatia, they knew that if they told people that you could, you don't have to follow the Old Testament law, that you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to follow those dietary rules, you don't have to celebrate those holidays the way that God had called his people to celebrate them before. He, they knew that if they started saying that, that, that people only had to believe in Christ and put their trust in him, they knew that other Jewish people would not have anything to do with that, that they would start coming after them, that they would start persecuting them, that they would say, how dare you let people come out from the law that God gave us? What are you doing? And they'd start to marginalize them or mistreat them or, or mock them or, or press them out of opportunities to teach or have influence. And these false teachers cared so much about their good standing with people and about their good standing with God that they were not willing to hold only the cross up, to boast in the cross. They, they knew that if they said that, that all that mattered was faith in Jesus, that there'd be persecution that comes. And so they accommodate, they compromise and say, well, 
you actually need, yes, you need to believe in Jesus. You can believe in Jesus, but you also need to follow the law. You also need uh, to follow after it. And that the ironic thing is that even though the cross held some sort of significance in the hearts of those false teachers, it held some sort of significance because the Galatians wouldn't have even listened to them if it didn't. It was, the cross was significant, but it was not central. They thought it was important in some capacity, maybe to, to get our sins removed from us, but they thought it wasn't central, that there was something else we needed to do, something else other people needed to do to keep good standing with God. And I would say this, friends, that we must be wary even in 2020 or beyond until Jesus comes back or he calls us home. We must be wary as Christians of any teachers who keep the cross peripheral, who, who believe it, who will hold it up when it's convenient, but who don't run to it often, who don't talk about it often, who, who hold up the cross when it's helpful or needful, but then most of what they're calling us to, to do is to do certain things, to be certain things, follow certain rules, follow certain guidelines, and they rarely bring forth the cross. If, if, a, if the cross is merely significant to a teacher or preacher, but not central, that is a big problem. Uh, the, a, a preacher, a teacher, a pastor, a Christian at all needs to, to glory in the cross, to have it front and center, not just on the periphery like these false teachers. And so Paul is saying that the boast of those false teachers was their flesh. It was their effort, what they could manufacture uh, to impress God. But then he talks about his own ministry and what he boasts in. The thing that they were keeping on the periphery, that they were keeping maybe in their back pocket, able to pull out when it was helpful, he's saying, that's what I boast in. I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. And he wants them to know that. He wants them to know that is central for me. He says that in verse 14. He says, far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, that is what I brag on. That is what I put my hope in. That is what uh, I am all about, is the cross of Christ. And the interesting thing about Paul, and this would be true of any of us as well, is that that used to not be true of him. He used to persecute people who would preach the cross. He used to literally kill people who would preach the cross. It certainly wasn't central to him. He used to think it was a joke, think that, that it was heresy to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he had died for our sins, that the cross was important at all. But something had changed in his life where, where the cross wasn't a joke and it certainly wasn't just on the margin of his life, but it became his boast. It became uh, what he would talk about, what he would write about. When he would cut him, it was what he would bleed, was the cross of Jesus Christ. And he used to boast in his flesh, just like these false teachers. He used to kind of hold out his resume of, I was a Jew of the, the Jew of Jews. I was, the, I was a great teacher. I was respected. I would follow the law to a T. I, I had a good resume. I could make a good showing, I thought, in the flesh. But something has happened now, and he says in verse 14, he says that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And what he's saying is that old worldly way of thinking, of trying to impress God, trying to make a good showing, I have died to that. I don't live that way anymore. I don't boast in the things that I can do. I don't boast in my own obedience. What I boast in is the cross of Christ. And so what is it then about the cross that has changed him? Like, what brought about this shift in his life? Because it, 
some people today and some people in, in Paul's day maybe would have said, I boast in the teachings of Christ. I boast in the miracles of Christ and the things that he was able to do. But Paul says, I boast in the cross of Christ. And we maybe have heard phrases like that before, and that doesn't land on us as strange as it maybe should. Uh, that, that he says, I boast in the cross. The cross was scandalous. The cross was the Roman, the cross of Jesus was the Roman government executing Jesus. It was them stripping him naked, making him bleed, making him wear a crown of thorns, whipping him on his back, exposing him for what they thought that he was, a criminal, a heretic, uh, an insurrectionist. Uh, It was this violent, bloody murder of a human being. And Paul says, that's what I boast in. That's what I brag about. And it, it would have left people uh, scratching their heads thinking, why on earth would he boast about that? This death of a man that many thought just exposed him for the fraud that they thought he was. Uh, that they, they, they thought, man, it showed his inability to actually do anything in the face of opposition. But Paul knows that the cross is central to the plan of God, that in all its brutality and ugliness and messiness and violence, and all the perceived weakness that it showed of Jesus, he knows that it is central to the plan of God. And for a few reasons, it became central to his life. It became what he boasted in. It should become what you boast in and what I boast in. The reason number one that the cross of Jesus should become our boast is this, is at the cross, our sin is fully displayed. What I mean by that is that you cannot look at the cross of Christ, if you understand what was happening there, and boast in your worthiness. What was happening at the cross of Jesus was that our sins were laid upon him. And something way deeper than just the Romans harming him was happening. God the Father was crushing him. God the Father was punishing him, and it was because of our sins. So you can't look at the cross and think, oh, I can make a good showing. I, I can put a good, uh, good foot forward, a good face forward because the cross shows your vileness. Uh, it shows your sinfulness. It shows your, the ugliness of your sin against God because God had to punish it. God had to, to lay down his wrath for your sake at the cross. That's why the cross, Paul said back in chapter 5, verse 11, is offensive. Uh, it's offensive because it exposes us as the sinners that we are. We can't look at it in all its brutality and ugliness and think, I'm good. I've got nothing to worry about. We have everything to worry about because we've sinned against God. And he had to crush his son in our place. He had to lay down the penalty for our sins upon his son Jesus. And so Paul then, that may even make us think even more, why would you boast in that then, Paul? Like, it's showing how sinful you are. It's showing how ugly you are. It's showing how unworthy you are. Typically, when there's something that exposes our ugliness and our sin, we try to hide that. We don't want people to know about it. We try to cover it up. We try to keep it out of sight of people. And you would think that Paul may want to do that with the cross, that since it's showing his sin and our sin, that he may want to kind of sideline it. But he holds it forward as his boast, as the thing he wants people to never forget. Uh, And the reason he does that, reason number two about the cross, that that he boasts in it, is that at the cross, God's wrath 
is fully satisfied. So our sin is exposed. Our, our unworthiness is shown at the cross. But also what's happening at the cross is that God's wrath is satisfied. Because God had anger stored up against, our, against us for our sins, for our rebellion against him. And when we look at the cross of Jesus, what, we cannot think that there's anything left for us to contribute. Anything left for us to suffer for our sins. Because when you look at the cross of Christ, yes, our sins are shown there. But also God's judgment was fully poured out on Jesus at the cross. Not just part of it, not just a portion of it. All of his anger, all of his judgment, all of his punishment was laid down upon Christ on the cross for our sins. And that's why at the end of his life, Jesus could say, it is finished. That's why there was this curtain in the temple that had separated, in a sense, God from his people there in Jerusalem. And when Jesus died upon the cross, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. It was totally ripped because all of God's anger, all of God's judgment, 100% of it had been laid upon Christ on the cross. And so the cross then isn't just a monument towards our sin and our ugliness and our vileness, although it is that. It's also a monument to God's mercy to the fact that God poured out all of his wrath upon Christ. And so we don't need to be ashamed of the cross. Yeah, it shows our sin, it shows our ugliness, but it also shows that that sin has been dealt with once and for all. At the cross, God's wrath is fully satisfied. And reason number three that Paul boasts in the cross, is, and you see it in this text, is that at the cross, a new era began. A new era, not just for Paul, but for all of humanity, a new era began. You see that in verse uh, 15, he says, Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul there is bringing back around language that he used way back at the start of his letter. If you were with us way back in February when we started this, you may remember back in Galatians 1.4, Talking about the death of Jesus on the cross, Paul said that Jesus, quote, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And so what Paul is saying through this letter is that when Jesus died upon the cross, that that old way of operating, that old way of relating to God, uh, of trying to put our, our, a good face forward, trying to make a good showing in the flesh, but being trapped in our sin, that that has gone away. And that a new creation started, especially then on, on Sunday when Jesus came back to life, a new creation started, a, a new way of relating to God that would last for all eternity, a, a way of relating to God by coming to him through his son Jesus, not through our own obedience or our efforts to impress him. And so Paul knows that because he has placed his faith in Jesus, that he's been made into a new creation. That he doesn't have to try to impress God. He doesn't have to try to, to gain good standing with God through his works. He knows that new life has been given to him. He knows that he's been made into a new creation. And this, that newness of life, that, that being a new creation, is something that is given to you, not gained by you. You can't make yourself into a new creation. You can't manufacture that. That's something God must work in you. It doesn't happen by keeping laws, Old Testament or otherwise. 
It doesn't happen by doing good things. It happens by God uniting you with his son Jesus and him making you into a new creation. And Paul says that's what counts. That's what began at the cross was this new creation, and you need to be part of that. You don't need to be part of that old way of, of living under the law and following his, his rules that he gave to Israel. You need to be part of the new creation. Interestingly, he says that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, Uh, but it's you being a new creation. That is what was gained for you at the cross, was this freedom from the present evil age and the ability to be part of the new creation that's begun in Jesus. So Paul has been dramatically changed by the cross as he's heard about it, as the Spirit has helped him to see it the right way, that his sin is shown there, but also the fullness of God's wrath has been poured out there, and that this new era has begun. Paul has been dramatically changed by the cross. He's now secure in his standing with God. He's not like these false teachers in Galatia who are always trying to just scramble to keep good standing with God or to prove themselves. He knows he's loved by God. He knows he's accepted by God because of what Jesus did for him. He's not trying to prove anything, and he's certainly not using these Galatian Christians as a means to prove anything to anybody. He knows he doesn't need to do that, and it shows in his willingness to suffer for the cross, right? Those false teachers, they were unwilling to suffer for the cross. They weren't willing to be persecuted. They wanted a cush, easy life where they're accepted by people, where they think they're accepted by God. They would avoid suffering. But Paul embraces it. You see in verse 17, he says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And it's like this kind of tongue-in-cheek way of him saying, they boast in your foreskins, they boast in certain marks of the flesh that they have on their bodies or they can get you to put on their bodies. But it's like he's saying, look at my body. Like, I, I have been in shackles. I've been beaten. Look at my back. Like, I, I have been stoned almost to death. I have been shipwrecked multiple times. I have been made fun of. I've, I've been mocked. I have been uh, had to starve almost at times because I couldn't even gain food. Look at the marks on my body. And I'm not doing it to impress God. I'm not doing it to impress you. I'm doing it because I love Christ and I boast in his cross and I want you to boast in it as well. So let's stack up their scars and my scars. They don't have any. Maybe they have a marking of circumcision, but I have the marks of Jesus. I follow in his footsteps, willing to suffer for him. So I would ask you, is the cross central in your life? Has it become your boast? Or is it something maybe just at the periphery of your life? Something that you think of as an, oh yeah. And I would ask you, are you willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus? Are you willing to hold out the cross of Jesus, come what may, if people make fun of you or or reject you? If our society shifts in the the years and decades to come where where we are legitimately persecuted for uh, presenting Christ as the way to God, will you keep doing it? If the cross isn't your boast, you won't. But if it is, you will. And we are called to do just that. We're called to have the cross as our boast and then call others to boast in it as well. Paul doesn't end this letter, I already mentioned this, but he doesn't end this letter with pleasantries and niceties, saying to say hello to so-and-so or greet so-and-so with a kiss. He doesn't say any of that in this letter because he knows there's too much at stake for these people. 
these Galatian Christians are dear to him, and he knows they're starting to believe a different gospel. They're starting to take the cross of Jesus and put it on the periphery and start to say, but, oh, but I need to do this to get God's favor. I need to do this to get good standing or keep good standing with God. And Paul is cautioning them in this letter over and over and over again. Do not add anything to the work of Christ. If I was to ask you what counts with God, what counts for your good standing with him, it is not your good works at all that counts for him, that impresses him, that pleases him. The only thing that, that you can do is cling to the cross. I, I love the song we sing where it says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. May that be true of our hearts, that we don't think of our giving statement to the church as something we can bring as evidence to God, that, that we don't think of our service in the church as something we can bring to God to put a good foot forward. We don't think of our evangelistic efforts as something we can add to our resume to show God, that we don't think of our work in the church nursery or our our voting record in politics or, or our parenting skills or anything like this as things that we can do to impress God and make a good showing in the flesh. But I fear that many of us imagine the day that we'll be judged someday by God, and we almost think of ourselves as a, a person defending myself, that I need to put a good, uh, a good resume together. I need to have a good list of things I've done for God. If you come to God doing that, you will be rejected by him. But if you come to him holding the cross of Jesus out, saying, he died for me, like he bore my sin. He uh, has died in my place. He, please forgive me. God will forgive you. And he can even forgive you today. He can make you a new creation today. Because you need more than just good works. You need to be born again. And we don't come to God uh, offering him something. We come to God asking him for something. We, do, we don't come to him saying, here's what I've done for you. Is it good enough? Like we, we come to him saying, I got nothing. Like I've got nothing but my sin, but I also have the cross. I have what Jesus did for me, and I'm holding on to that. And if that's how we approach God, he will forgive us. Back in Isaiah 66, Isaiah wrote this. He said, spoke on behalf of God, saying, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That is who God looks at it, and with favor is the contrite, the humble, the ones who know they have no goodness to bring to him, but who can only come to him through the cross. So I would say, friends, that we need to boast only in the cross, not in any good works from ourselves. And if we feel ourselves welling up with pride for things other than the cross, we need to be like Paul and say, far be it from me to boast in those things. Cast those things far away and return once again to the cross. I, I tell my kids often when I'm handing them something, especially the younger they are, I tell them to hold it with two hands because uh, I know if they're just holding on with one hand and trying to grab on or do something else with the other, they're going to drop that thing. And the same is true with the cross, that we can't just hold it with one hand and then try to grab other stuff to bring to God, but we hold on to the cross with two hands. We boast only in it, and we need to boast not just only in the cross, but boast always in the cross. 
boasting in the cross isn't just something we do one time when we initially come to faith in Jesus, like it's some gate we pass through and then we just live the rest of the life without any sight of the cross, without any care of the cross. We need to always be boasting in the cross day by day by day, week by week by week, year by year by year. We need to be always boasting in the cross. We need to keep the cross in our sight We need to keep our hearts near to it. We need to live at the foot of it, so to speak, to always remember that I am sinful, but God is merciful to me because of Christ. It's no wonder Paul ends this letter in verse 18 by saying, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Uh, That grace has been the banner of this whole letter, this idea of God giving favor to us that's undeserved, that that's not gained by us, earned by us in any way, shape, or form, but given to us through the work of Jesus. He has said that throughout this letter, and he ends with it as well. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I love the song we sing. It's called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And one lyric of it I just wanted to end on, and then I'll pray, and Marcos can lead us in another song. It's a very simple lyric, but it summarizes this text. It says, we sing this often. We sing, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the death of Christ my God. May that be true of us, that we don't boast in anything other than the cross of Christ. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll sing one more song, and then I'll leave us uh, with a word of benediction. Father in heaven, uh, we are thankful for this letter that Paul wrote to these ancient churches long ago. We're thankful that you have preserved it for us, that we can read it, that we can uh, hear it, that your spirit can still use it even today to, to pierce our hearts and to help us learn to do what Paul did, to boast in nothing other than the cross of Jesus. I pray whether someone does that for the first time today or whether it is the 10,000th day that they're boasting in the cross, I pray that each of us in the hearing of this would boast in the cross of Jesus. That we would know that if we come to you through your son Jesus, if we come to you boasting not in our record, but in his, that you gladly forgive, that you gladly receive, and that we can be part of this new creation that has begun now and will last into all eternity where we still will be boasting in the cross of Christ. And pray this in his name.